0: Section twenty five of a Fair Mystery This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Section twenty five The Last Happy Day of His Life Earl, said Doris suddenly, I hope you will keep your promise and not mention to any person a word about this ring. "'I have never broken a word in my life,' said Earl proudly. "'Because when Lady Estella gave it to me, she wished me not to mention it. "'They would be so jealous at home, Mattie would want one like it.' Earl was indignant at this insinuation. "'You do not understand, Mattie, if you think that,' he said. "'She would be pleased in your pleasure, not envious,' Doris laughed. "'You think all women are angels, Earl. I hope you may never find out your mistake.' i hope not he said of course i will respect your wishes and keep the most perfect silence at the same time i think you are rather imprudent and any one seeing such a valuable ring in your possession would naturally wonder how you came by it they may wonder she said indifferently i know and that is quite sufficient is it really valuable earl what do you think it is worth i am no judge of such things he said it is a large stone full of fire and without a floor i should imagine it to be worth two or three hundred pounds it may be worth more—certainly not less. Three hundred pounds? Why, the bare idea of it was fabulous. To have a lover who could give you such jewels, it was like a fairy tale, and he would hang chains of such around her neck and arms. Earl wondered why she so suddenly grew abstracted and quiet. It was so unlike Doris, this dreamy repose. It had wanted but little to cause her to make up her mind as to her decision such wealth as that was not to be despised earl suddenly grew quite insignificant in her eyes when would he be able to give her a diamond worth three hundred pounds still she would not let him even guess what were her thoughts to-morrow she had to see her young lord lover she would keep good friends with earl until then so she threw aside the many thoughts and ideas which haunted her and turning to him was once more her own charming self earl was enchanted she had but to smile at him to give him a look of kindness to evince the least sign of affection for him and all was well she was so completely mistress of his heart soul and mind that she could do with him just as she would he surrendered himself to the charm he was more happy than words can tell he said to himself that he had been mistaken there was no coldness in her manner no change it had after all only been some little shadow of girlish reserve some little variation of spirit. She was his own love, beautiful, tender, and true. Seated by her in the fair June sunshine, he told her all his hopes and his fears. He told her how he had fancied that her love was leaving him, she was changing to him, that she had been caring less for him. Now he was delighted to find that she was all that was most kind, most amiable, and winning. None, looking at the bright, happy face, could have guessed what was hidden underneath it, early. least of all those eyes were full of heaven to him he saw all truth all honour all nobility in the matchless features earl believed in her drinking in the marvellous beauty of her face listening to the sweet voice he would have gone to death for her it never entered his mind to doubt her so the summer hours passed and earl completely happy completely reassured was in the seventh heaven of delight they went home together for long afterward did he dwell on the memory of that day the last happy one of his life he remained at the farm until evening. He seemed unable to tear himself away. The moon was shining and the stars were gleaming in the sky when he went. He asked Doris if she would walk with him just as far as the garden gate. She did not seem willing, but Mark Brace, who had noticed the wistful expression on the young lover's eyes, said, "'Go, Doris, the night is fine. Going as far as the gate will not hurt you.' And Unwillingly she rose to go. Another time she would have rebelled. But now the consciousness of treachery she was meditating forbade that. She would do as they liked for the present. Mattie held out her hand to Earl with a grave, anxious look. If she could have saved him, if she could have done anything to help him, she seemed to have a foreboding that all was not well, that Doris was deceiving them. "'Good-night, Mattie,' said Earl in a low voice. "'You see the sun is shining for me again. Heaven grant that it may always so shine,' said sincere Mattie. Then she turned away from him abruptly. There were times when she could not bear those outward evidences of his love— she said to herself that doris was quite unworthy of him quite unworthy but that if he had only cared for her she would have made his life so bright for him then the lovers went out marty looking after them with a sigh mark Brace with a smile earl wishing that each moment of the starlight night could be lengthened into years doris silently wishing that there was no love in the world nothing but diamonds doris walked in silence to the garden gate the picture was a beautiful one the picturesque old farmhouse lying in the soft moonlight the moonbeams falling full and bright on the flowers the fields and the trees the laburns shining yellow and pale the lilacs filling the air with sweet perfume the starlight touching the golden head and the face of the young girl until she looked beautiful and ethereal as an angel lighting up the spiritual face of the young lover doris leaned against the gate and directly over her head hung the flowers of the syringa tree there was a deep dreamy silence over the whole earth and as though the rest of heaven were laying over it was the first to speak you look so beautiful my darling he said how am i to tear myself away do not look at me she replied then you will go easily do you want me to go he asked bending a spray of syringa until it rested on her head do you want me to go no need to pain him yet no need to wound with the point of a pin when she was preparing a sharp sword to stab him to the heart why should i want you to go doris asked with one of those sweet subtle smiles which fire the hearts of men i am so happy he said after a time here with you in the moonlight my darling it seems to me that the earth and heaven have no higher bliss to give me i wish you could see yourself doris the moonlight just touches your hair and makes it something like an aureole grow around your head it touches your face and makes it like a lily leaf it shines in your eyes and they are brighter than the stars oh my darling all the words in the world could not tell how lovely you are there is something in having a poet for a lover after all thought doris How am I to leave you? When I go away my heart clings to you as though I were drawn by cords that I could not loosen. My eyes will not gaze in any other direction. Oh, Doris, if I could tell you how I love you, if but for once I could measure the height and depth of my own wild worship, if but for once I could tell you how dearly I love you, you would be compelled in sheerest pity to love me in return. Have I not said I love you, Earl? And her voice was sweet as the cooing ring-dove what happens to either of us be quite sure of one thing whatever love i have to give is given to you he bent down and kissed her sweet false lips such unutterable happiness shining in his eyes that the great pity was that he did not die there and then she lifted her face to his it is not in me she said to love as some people do but let what may happen i do love you and you have all my love he drew the lovely face to his own i should like to take you in my arms and run away with you he said to take you to some lonely island or solitary desert where no one could ever try to take you from me she knew perfectly well that on the morrow she had to meet her lordly lover yet when earl clasped her in his arms and drew her head on his breast she mutely accepted his caresses what she said was true she might do what she would she might love the prestige of lord vivian's rank she might love his wealth and what it could bring her but the whole affection of her heart, poor, mean, and false as it was, had been given to Earl. As she listened to his low, whispering words, she thought to herself that it was most likely for the last time. The story of a woman's falseness is never pleasant to write. When Earl thought that he had detained her as long as Mark Bryce would wish her to be out, he said, "'I must go, Doris. It would be just as difficult to leave you in an hour's time as now. Good-bye, my love, good-bye.' Then she raised her golden head and fair flower-like face. She clasped her soft, white arms around his neck and said, "Goodbye, Earl.' It was the first voluntary caress that she had ever offered him, and his heart beat with a perfect rapture of happiness. She turned away, false, fickle, coquette as she was, the sight of his face touched her with no ordinary pain. How he trusted, how he loved her, heaven help him, how his whole heart, soul, and life seemed wrapped up in her." Doris went back into the sitting-room, where honest Mark Bryce sat waiting for her, and Earl walked home. He hardly knew how he reached there. The glamour of his love was strong upon him. The moonlight was so fair, the whole earth so fragrant and so beautiful. He crushed the sweet blossoms under his feet as he walked along. He had gathered the spray of syringa, and held it to his lips shining among the stars he saw the fair face of his love he heard her voice in the sweetest whisper of the wind he stood bareheaded under the night sky while he said to himself heaven bless her and when he entered his mother's house the look of rest on his face the light in his eyes struck her so that she said you look very well to-night my son is it poetry or love he laughed gaily as though you could separate the two mother my love is all poetry my poetry all love she laid her hand on the fair clustering brow i am afraid that your love is your religion too she said i am so happy mother what have i done that i should win the love of that pure young heart do not say that i have no religion i feel i could kneel all night and thank heaven for the treasure it had sent me i shall be a thousand times better a man for my love but mrs moray was not to be convinced she did not see doris with the eyes of her son she saw the girl's faults more plainly than her virtues her coquetry her vanity her pride whereas earl saw only that she was exceedingly beautiful and that he loved her better than he loved his life it is a terrible thing said mrs moray slowly for a man to give his whole heart into the hands of a creature as you have done earl why what would become of you if you were to lose doris or anything happened to interfere with your love to separate you she was startled at the expression on his face he turned to her quickly do not say anything of that kind to me, Mother. The bare idea of it drives me mad. What would the reality do? It is not right, Earl, to love any one after such a fashion, but I cannot help it. Mother. He replied with a smile, and that is where the whole of my excuse lies End of section twenty five